Hello and welcome to ISA Conversations, Women in the Law of the Sea, a special production of the International Seabed Authority in celebration of the remarkable contributions of women to the progressive development of the law of the sea. I'm your host, Mark Thomas, and today we meet Michael W. Lodge, Secretary General, International Seabed Authority, a public international lawyer with vast experience in fisheries, the environment, and the law of the sea across Europe, Asia, the South Pacific, and Africa. Notably, Michael Lodge is an international gender champion, playing his role in a global leadership network to bring together female and male decision makers who are determined to break down gender barriers and make gender equality a working reality in their spheres of influence. Secretary General, welcome to the conversation. Thanks very much, Mark. It's a great pleasure to be here. Tell us a little bit about international gender champions and maybe why gender equality in the world and especially in the workplace is so important to you. Yes, sure. Well, I'm very proud to be an international gender champion. The International Gender Champions is actually a leadership network around the world that brings together both female and male decision makers who share a commitment to break down gender barriers and make gender equality a reality in their spheres of influence. So it was founded back in 2015 in Geneva. And today, I think there are something like 300 leaders from different spheres of life and different international organizations that have signed up to be international gender champions, which requires each of us to make at least two individual commitments every year, as well as to sign on to the core pledge of the International Gender Champions, which includes something we can probably talk about later, which is the Panel Parity Pledge, whereby we individually commit to not appear on panels that do not reflect appropriate gender balance. SG, you've been an active participant in the growth and development of ISA since 1996, up to when you were elected Secretary General in July 2016 to present. You have worked closely with many talented women, I'm sure in ISA and in the wider UN system. How would you quantify the value contributions of women to the progressive development of the UN Convention on the Law of the Sea? Well, I think you have to take into account that behind ISA as an organization is the entire body of the international law of the sea. You know, ISA is one of three international institutions that were established by the UN Convention on the Law of the Sea, which, as you may know, was signed back in 1982 in Montego Bay in Jamaica. It is, in fact, one of the most important treaties ever negotiated by the UN. And it's a treaty that affects all of our lives in many, many ways, although probably most of the general public listening to this podcast may not even realize that. So, for example, the Law of the Sea Convention covers shipping that carries 95% of global trade. It deals with maritime boundaries. It deals with international fishing. It deals with the submarine cables that carry 95% of the internet around the world. 
It deals with marine scientific research, and it also deals with future sustainable uses of the ocean, like deep sea minerals that ISA is particularly engaged in. And the reason I give that background is that when you look at the importance of the law of the sea and you look at the subject matter that is concerned, take a look at the pictures back from 1982 when the convention <laughs> was signed. Yeah. There are basically no women in the room. It's all men. Of course, things have changed since then, but nowhere near as much as they should have changed. So it's only in the last few years, for example, that we've seen women represented on our sister organization, the International Tribunal for the Law of the Sea oh. in Hamburg, in Germany. There are now some women judges, but nowhere near the parity that is desirable. And still in this field of law of the sea, there are way too many conferences, meetings, academic proceedings, academia itself that are still dominated by men. And that's really, uh, I think, part of the importance of this panel parity pledge that I was talking about a few yeah. minutes ago, that it's only when you start to turn down public engagements that don't have adequate representation that it starts to make a difference and it starts to impinge on uh, the way people carry out business and it starts to have an impact. So there is some positive signs, but there is still a long way to go, given the importance the law of the sea in general plays in our everyday lives. So let's look at your organization, ISA, the International Seabed Authority, and how you may have addressed some of the historical challenges associated with gender imbalance, gender bias even. Tell me about some of the policies that you have led for implementation in the organization. Sure. Well, when I took over this position in 2017, I immediately acted to become an international gender champion. In the same year, ISA was actually the only intergovernmental organization at the UN Ocean Conference that was held in New York in that year that registered a voluntary commitment aimed specifically at enhancing the role of women in marine scientific research through targeted capacity building initiatives. But also we took action within the Secretariat itself. And I think that is one of the key points that I would emphasize is when you're trying to address these gender-related issues, you need to have both an internal and an external strategy. So, you know, before we can demand action from others, it's important to demonstrate our own commitment. So we made extra efforts to recruit women at all levels of the secretariat, including the senior levels. So today, for example, women make up, I think, around 60% of the staff of the secretariat, which is great. Uh, yes. We're not quite there at the senior levels yet, but we will be, you know, it's evolving. We also took action to adopt various new administrative policies that would be helpful to women in particular, some more family-friendly policies. Already, the UN rules that we apply on maternity leave, I think, are world-leading, but we went further. So we included provisions for accommodation and time off for breastfeeding, for example, as well as a new travel policy that allows infants 
to accompany new mothers if they have to go on duty travel, which, uh, you know, given the nature of our work as an international organization, is a very frequent occurrence. So it's by this kind of internal policy, I think, that we can show our commitment and demonstrate the need for others to follow along the same path. I think that's remarkable. I'm sure this has a great impact on morale and maybe will play into your strategy of attracting more women to an organization like ISA. Well, I hope so. And, uh, you know, I believe this kind of uh, policy is very much appreciated and quite popular. And I think it's also a sign that actually this kind of practical measures, they don't necessarily need to cost a whole lot of money. I can give another example of that. We run a very active training program with the uh, exploration contractors that are working with ISA. There is a requirement for them to train a certain number of individuals, primarily from developing countries. And we have invited them or requested them to give more priority to training for female candidates. And it turns out that was really pushing at an open door. It didn't need to cost any money. So out of 163 individuals that benefited from that training program over a fairly short period of a couple of years, 74 of them, so just about half, were women. So, you know, that's another example of a successful policy that didn't require a whole lot of new money. It just required commitment and for people to be gently pushed in the right direction. Indeed. This is a nice segue to consider ISA's mandate and this larger-than-life vision of making the oceans the common heritage of all mankind. What are your considerations, Secretary General, for more defined rules for women in the focal areas of, of that mandate, that ISA mandate? Well, yes, Mark, uh, this, is, this is a really uh, important area that you've touched on. And again, you know, I'd like to talk about the commitment we made back in 2017 to enhancing the role of women in marine scientific research, because this is really the core business of ISA, scientific research, especially for the uh, deep sea. The fact is that despite all the action, all the talk over many years, women are still very much underrepresented in ocean science generally, especially in highly technical categories. For example, ocean observation and ocean technology is dominated by men. About 75% of researchers uh, uh, are men. Participation of women also varies very widely among nations. So, for example, in a country like Ireland, something like 72% of ocean researchers are women. That's very good. But in a country like the Democratic Republic of the Congo, the number drops precipitously to around 7%. And the global average, therefore, is, is only around 35 to 38%. And it's not just that generally lower representation, but also there is a significant lack of parity in terms of female participation in leadership positions in, in science. So what we see is what's commonly called this leaky pipeline, where women may start a career in science, but may drop out at various career stages which eventually leads to a disproportionate representation 
at the decision-making levels. And, and this becomes particularly exacerbated in developing countries in general, and even more so when we start to talk about least developed countries or landlocked developing countries, or even the unique challenges that are faced by small island developing states, including states like Jamaica. So there's a number of things that we need to think about there. First of all, we need to understand the reasons why this happens. So one of the approaches that we've taken is that everything needs to be data-driven. We need to have a strategy, but we need to base that strategy on analysis and research into the problem. So we started to do that. We are looking into all the different factors that prevent women from persevering with careers in marine science to try to understand the reasons for the low participation and the lack of career advancement. What are the causes? Why does it happen and how does it happen? Then we need to look at building partnerships to address those factors and to try to redress the balance through a combination of communications, outreach, training, capacity development, and building more sustainable partnerships. So one of the things I've been very happy to participate in and to lead from ISA is a project that we call the Women in Deep Sea Research Project, WIDSR which is now becoming a major collaboration with governments and different agencies. We're working with governments, including, for example, Argentina, Malta, Norway. We're working with sister organizations, including the OECD, the United Nations Office of the High Representative for Least Developed and Landlocked States, the Pacific Community, the National Oceanography Center in uh, UK, the Korean Biodiversity Institute, and the Intergovernmental Forum on Mining, and, and several others as well. But I'm just citing those to give you an example, an idea of the breadth of the partnership. And we are looking to use those partnerships to try to inspire women to to show success stories of women and to encourage others to stay in the career and also to encourage governments to adjust their policies to enable and facilitate women to participate more actively in marine science. Wow, that's so great, SG. Let us take a quick break. This is ISA Conversations, looking at the remarkable contributions of women to the international law of the sea. We're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back with the Secretary General of the ISA, Michael W. Lodge. Welcome back to ISA Conversations, Women in the Law of the Sea. We have with us Michael W. Lodge, the Secretary General of the International Seabed Authority, giving us a treasure trove of information content as it relates to ISA and its engagement of more women into the organization. In so doing, Secretary General, what are the challenges that you may be encountering in bringing more women into the organization? Yeah, well, this is very interesting, uh, Mark. Uh, as I said, approach is very much data-driven and analysis-driven, and some of that analysis is still maturing. We're still pulling out the data to support the analysis. But some of the things that come up by way of example, certainly for small island states, and least developed countries. The so-called brain drain is a factor. 
perhaps women find it more interesting, more attractive to pursue careers in other countries. The fact that you're dealing with very small bureaucracies in some of these very small countries can mean that prospects for career advancement are extremely limited. There is a lack of child-friendly employment policies in many countries. And when you start to talk about scientific careers and marine science in particular, many of the research projects involve long periods away from home, working in remote and challenging environments. And then something else that is uh, very interesting that, uh, that came up is that when you think of marine science, you have to think of going out on ships, often for very long periods. Ships, they're very isolated and can be very crowded environments. And certainly a problem that has arisen in the past is a problem of sexual harassment on board vessels with very cramped accommodation and people isolated at sea for, for long periods of time. And I'm very, very pleased that when we discussed this with the marine science contractors for ISA, all of them were happy to go along with a request from us to adopt codes of conduct and policies specifically aimed at providing zero tolerance for sexual harassment uh, at, at, at sea and to publicize those policies. So I feel that is, a, that is positive progress and a little bit of a breakthrough in our project, but clearly there is still a long way to go. So let's look to the future, SG. Uh, when you reflect on the arc of history, so to speak, how the law of the sea has developed especially now in the context of the UN 2030 Agenda for Sustainable Development. What do you see beyond the horizon? Well, overall, I, I have a fairly positive outlook. I can see that things are changing quite rapidly and quite dramatically. I do feel that things like the Panel Parity Pledge have had a real impact and are increasingly being recognized. Uh, I'm very Happy to say that uh, there's been no ISA event in the last several years that has not had a balanced representation, and I intend that that will continue into the future. I can see that in the field of marine science, things are, again, changing, not perhaps as rapidly as some may wish, but nevertheless, there is positive progress in the right direction. I do still feel that there is a general underrepresentation of women in some areas in the law of the sea. Uh, there are still far too many international conferences where there is too much domination by men. And I think we would do well to try to give more of an opportunity to especially young women, up and coming women in uh, lower ranks of the profession to give them opportunities that they have not been given in the past. That's why I'm very uh, pleased that this year we are hosting in ISA as a part of the commemoration of the 40th anniversary of the UN Convention on the Law of the Sea. We are hosting the first ever international conference that is specifically by and for women in the law of the sea. So all the participants will be women, including very well-known senior female leaders, but also including a, a decent proportion of 
young women from developing countries who have not had the opportunity to participate in and present at uh, conferences such as this. It's a big event and I'm very much looking forward to it. We've had a fantastic response. The conference is uh, hugely oversubscribed, so uh, we're going to have to make some difficult choices in terms of those who, uh, who make the final cut for what has to be, unfortunately, a limited event. But uh, I'm very much encouraged by the level of interest that's been shown in that event, and I'm looking forward to it being a very uh, fantastic and inspiring uh, event, hopefully taking place towards the middle of this year. That's, that's really a great way to end our conversation today, Secretary General Michael W. Lodge. I, I just wanted, as a parting shot, to ask of you, what might the future hold for the promise of a woman as Secretary General of ISA? Well, there's absolutely no reason why not. And uh, certainly I would hope to live that, to see that day. Excellent. ISA Secretary General Michael W. Lodge, thank you so much for your insights and perspectives today on the important role of women in the continuing journey of the International Seabed Authority into what promises to be an exciting future. This has been ISA Conversations, Women in the Law of the Sea, a special production of the International Seabed Authority in celebration of the remarkable contributions of women to the progressive development of the law of the sea. I'm your host, Mark Thomas. Until next time, thank you for listening.